We spend a lot of time and efforts and money in developing great leaders at Six Degrees and great leaders are great listeners. It's a really important part of our ongoing development of, of Six Degrees leaders is making sure they're engaged listeners and they do something with that information. Welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my very special guest today is Paul Hallam. Paul is the founder and director of Six Degrees Executive, one of Australia's leading executive recruitment and search firms. Established in 2004, SDE has 85 people with offices in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane, and annual revenues exceeding $25 million. They pride themselves on their values-led, non-transactional, relationship-based approach. Today, we're gonna talk about scaling your recruitment business, leadership, succession planning, and diversity inclusion. Welcome, Paul, thanks for being here. Great to to be here, Mark, and uh, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. I will will also say uh, that that, uh, bio that you uh, read out of mine was uh, pre-COVID, so some of those people numbers and and revenue numbers might have changed a little bit. Yeah, I think that goes for everybody around the world in our in our industry. Um, well, I mean, since you brought it up, let's let's start there. What what impact uh, has this you know crisis had for you guys, and how are you dealing with it? That's a, a, a good question. Um, I mean, it was uh, um, you know when, when it did hit, and uh, we were one of the first, uh, not just recruitment companies, but companies to send people home. Um, luckily, we had the technology to to support it, and Susie McInerney, our CEO, um, put the, the health and wellness of our people over everything else, and we wanted to to get everyone home. Um, it hit pretty hard, uh, and you know there are a lot of scared people, um, scared because of the health risks, um, but also scared because of the business risks. Um, uh, fast forward uh, three, three, four months. You know, Australia is in an incredibly good position. Um, you know, we've only had 102 people die in Australia, um, and only seven and a half thousand reported cases. Um, so uh, it is. Um, it was a massive scare, but um, luckily, by, by the way, the governments, both state and federal, has reacted. Um, yeah, we are in a very, very good position from a health perspective. Um, from an economic perspective, uh, let's wait and see. Um, you know, there, there's our unemployment rate is has gone to eight and a half percent. Luckily enough, our government is supporting us with a, a job keeper allowance. So, uh, about three and a half million people are on job uh, government subsidies and assistance. Um, you know, I, I, the economic uh, um, impact is definitely there. Um, I, I do personally believe it's going to get tougher before it gets better. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I think what you're saying echoes um, what everyone else will will also be feeling. In fact, I've got a couple of clients I've I've known for years in Australia, and of course, they are they were calling me. You know, Mark, what, what should we do? What advice you know would you give to other business leaders, particularly in our sector in recruitment, in order to um, Sort of weather the storm and come out of this, you know, uh, in a good in a good place, so that they can take advantage of the upswing when it comes. 
Yeah, and that, that's the hard part. And, you know, having gone through this before with the GFC, um, we were a much smaller business then. We were, you know, 25, 30 people through the GFC and we didn't let anyone go. Uh, we retrained our people. You know, our people uh, were very job rich prior to GFC and we, we had to retrain them as far as business development and uh, uh, look at better and different ways of doing things. And, and, you know, the GFC didn't last long and we came out of that and made money, more money than we'd ever made before. Um, it has been a little bit different for us um, this time round in that we have a lot more people. Um, sadly, we had to let some people go um, and um, we had to look at our business and you know, we, we all went to um, point eight or four days a week uh, because as we know in recruitment, uh, the biggest cost that we bear is our employment costs. So we needed to get those down. Um, luckily, we were helped by the government initiatives as far as JobKeeper um, and that made life a, a little bit easier for us uh, and in order to plan. Um, but say, with same principles applied, we actually have started retraining the staff. Um, but the, the most important thing is um, you know, looking after the health and wellness of your people. Um, and uh, it is a, pretty, you know, a very, very unique situation in that uh, not only are you weathering this storm, but a lot of people are weathering this storm alone or at home and having to do things like homeschool. So, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that we have really focused on more than anything else is the health and wellness of our people and making sure that everyone's okay. Um, but And then, obviously, the business. Uh, we, we've still got to run a business at the same time. And uh, you know, one of the, the, the early decisions we made was uh, making people or, or going to four days a week knowing that there wasn't going to be as much job flow. So you weren't sort of banging your head against the wall five days a week. You were doing it four days a week. <laughs> okay, I hear you. By the way, for our listeners... Outside Australia, GFC stands for Global Financial Crisis. I've only ever heard Australians use that particular phrase, so I thought really? okay. we yep. should explain it. Um, and uh, so talking about health and wellness, could you elaborate on specifically how you've uh, addressed that at, um, you know, at Six Degrees? Absolutely. I mean, health and wellness has always been very important to us. Um, and, you know, we take a, you know, the, the, the unique part about Six Degrees uh, is our culture. And I know a lot of firms say that, um, but that is really reflective in our turnover. You know, we're an industry that has upwards of 40 to 50 percent turnover per annum. Um, consistently through our six degrees journey in, in 16 years, our, our turnover has never been more than 15%. Wow. Um, and that is because we take a holistic approach. Well, sorry, firstly, we hire correctly. Um, yes. So, you know, we've got a very, very rigorous um, process where we hire. Um, and secondly, uh, uh, you know, we, we take a holistic approach to people um, when they join our business. And, you know, we've maintained a, a cult of what we call a family culture. Uh, and that was very much the same when we were 10 to 30 to, to 80 people. Uh, and the health and wellness is not just um, you know, an ergonomic workstation, um, but but strong mental health. Um, you know, making sure that people, um, you know, recruitment can be quite a, a financially beneficial um, industry to work in. Making sure that people are, are being smart with their money when they make money. So our our approach um, in looking after people has and always will be a holistic approach. Awesome. That sounds interesting, Paul. Could could you give a couple of examples of? Like what that really means on a practical basis to look after people ho holistically? Absolutely. Um, so um, 
I, I, I think you and I uh, had a, a pre-discussion around this and uh, you know, uh, the hardest and toughest day of my life in, in Six Degrees history was when I had to come in and, and tell people uh, that one of their team members, Luke Riley, had taken his own life. Um, you know, we had always we had always been um, conscious of people's mental health, but uh, when uh, something like that happens, um, you know, mental health is is probably the most important um, uh, area that we look at when when looking after people. I mean, there are the logical things as far as training and development and building leadership capability and all those things that people expect of an organisation from a, a personal uh, from from a professional perspective. Um, but when we're talking about a personal perspective, such as mental health, um, we all talk about um, the highs and lows of recruitment and, and the often A-type personalities the recruiters are, um, you know, the mental health and well-being of, of our people is, is the most paramount thing. So, you know, we, we um, talk about, you know, a, an ability to say, you know, there's a, a great initiative in Australia called Are You OK Day? And that's a day where you check in with people to make sure that they are okay from a mental health perspective. And that's not just asking, are you okay, but asking the second and third questions and also educating people to make sure that they see the signs that when people aren't okay. So you know, when at Six Degrees we talk about are you okay day is not just one day a year, which is the, drive, the national drive, but are you okay day is every day. Uh, and you know it's it's un, you know making sure that people are, are not worked to the bone, uh, not partying too hard, but have a, a really good balance in life, um, and that means a good family life, and um, you know uh, enforcing vacations if people haven't taken vacations for six months, knowing the stresses of recruitment, uh, and making sure that we take a, a holistic approach to to uh, managing and looking after people, not just a professional one. Wow. So um, it sounds like y this uh, terrible uh, event was um, a, perhaps a catalyst for you guys really um, focusing on on people's mental health and and even more than perhaps you you were before. What? Um, what specifically shifted? So I know there's, not, of course, awareness is part of it. And are you okay, Dave, being not, you know, one day a year, but being a, an ongoing discussion? Um, what other shifts did, did you guys make to really uh, address this? Because recruiting is, although it can be very lucrative, it can be very fulfilling, it can also be very high pressure, high stress, Um so what, what changes did you guys make at Six Degrees, you know, in light of that? Well, I, I think the, the first two things is that we developed a mental health policy uh, and then also um, we signed up to an EAP or an Employee Assistance Program. So Six Degrees has a, a, an, a, a, an outsourced um, psychological counsellor in each of our states that if people aren't coping for whatever reason, um, that they have a hotline that they can call up and that we, we will pay um, for, for counselling for them. Um, oh, that's awesome. So that, that, that's what we did internally as well as training our leaders to look at the signs that people are not okay. Uh, yeah. And so that's what we did internally. But, you know, with, with Luke's passing, we felt that we had a much broader uh, responsibility um, and we got involved with an organisation called Beyond Blue, and Beyond Blue is probably the largest organisation in Australia 
uh, around mental health and, and depression and anxiety awareness. Um, and our job was to then help Beyond Blue um, change organisations' approach to mental health um, mm. and ensure that they had a mental health policy um, and also make it okay to be talking about um, mental health within the workplace because mm. um, you know many you know, it wasn't long ago that you, no one ever talked about depression and anxiety and this was something that was swept under the carpet or you were seen you were weak for for having depression or anxiety but now um, I thank thank God a lot has changed in that area. It's absolutely you know, my my dad actually is a psychiatrist and um, and I know that. Although it's it is getting better, there still seems to be a stigma uh, associated with, you know, being on leave with stress or or anxiety, depression, that sort of thing. What I'm I'm really impressed, Paul, that you guys have in- instituted this because a lot of big organizations will provide access to counseling, but I, I've not come across any other recruiting firms, especially small, medium sized businesses. Uh, I know you're a large SMB, but you're, you'd still fall, I think, within the uh, um, small, medium enterprise category. Um, I've not come across any others that have provided that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and just really one interesting um, uh, area there, Mark, is we, we have noticed uh, since uh, COVID-19 started a, a, a big uptake on our EAP policy um, because people are really struggling at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously there's anxiety around financial stress, anxiety around um, loneliness, uh, and yeah. especially people that are stuck at home with uh, no, you know, sometimes I, I uh, you know, scream at my children, but I'm delighted to be uh, spending some quality time with them. But there are, uh, are people here that have no one and uh, yes. it's pretty lonely for them. And, you know, they get a lot of their social interaction and their connectedness um, at work. Uh, and I think we need to be aware of people's mental health during these times. Absolutely. Wow, that is really, really cool that you guys are doing that. Um, tell me, so in terms of growing a successful organization and you guys have gone from, you know, startup in 2004, you know, through, I guess there's a couple of phases of this growth. One is like going from zero to sort of 30, 25, 30 employees is a kind of major milestone where you start having critical mass, but usually the uh, owners and founders are still kind of like the top billers in the in the business. And, you know, there's a lot, they have a disproportionate responsibility in, in the organization structure and so on. And then you get to the sort of, once you get sort of past that sticking point and scale up to the level that you guys have sort of, you know, 70, 80 uh, or more people, then that's another sort of major milestone. Um, and, but look, most recruitment companies are small. They never get even to the 25. They're sort of like a handful, maybe three, four, five, ten 10 people. Um, what do you think are the key success factors that enabled you to scale the business? Absolutely. And I, I'd, I'd say there are two, two, two points for us. Um, it was easy for us to get to 10 and then we had a, a, a trouble getting from 10 and then we got to 30. Uh, and then at 30, we um, then looked for some outside help to, to uh, talk about how we scale our business. Uh, and we um, got a, a, a non-executive director or, or chairman um, who really helped us really look at our business and make sure um, that we were on track. And I'm, I'm reluctant to use the word corporatize, 
um, because we're not a corporatized business as such, but it's making sure that we are, you know, one of the big decisions um, that was made was to put me in as CEO uh, and make sure that, you know, as you said, there were three, three original founders who are still with the business today, including myself. Um, but you know, there were three people that had different ideas, and um, you know, would uh, you know, people would go to different uh, founders when they wanted different resolutions. And uh, our chairman said, "Okay, it, it needs one leader," uh, and I was appointed CEO. Uh, and then uh, you know, it was made sure that we had a very clear strategy and plan on how we how, or where we were going, and trying not to deviate from that. Now, of course, there are always um, roadblocks and, and things that come up, but you know, very, very clear on, on who we are and what we want it to be uh, and, and being very, very laser-focused in delivering that. Um, the other important part for us was maintaining um, our people, maintaining our culture and our number one focus on people. And you know, a lot of people um, talk about culture eating strategy for breakfast. We, we did have a clear plan, um, but we, we maintained a, a, a great culture. Awesome. Yeah, I think that the, is... The, 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 one other, the one other important thing that uh, people forget about uh, and that is making sure that you have strong cash flow um, because that is something that uh, people forget about. Uh, you know, one of the, you know, we were historically very good at making money um, and um, uh, the, the best thing that helped us really get to that level was bringing in a CFO um, that, you know, came, uh, you know, we, we made decisions and a lot of our decisions were gut decisions and if it felt right, we did it. Um, but we, when we really wanted to scale, we brought in a CFO um, that implemented a, a very, very strict budgeting process and, and that's not just revenue, but that's costs and every single cost that we did. And it actually um, was, a, was, a, was a business plan in numbers and um, I think recruiters historically are great let's get on the phone, let's sell, let's make placements. Um, but that, that financial planning and rigorous financial planning and cash flow management was really, really important in scaling and growing the business. It's really interesting. I interviewed um, a couple of other entrepreneurs based here in the, in the UK um, and who who found, were founders of a, a really successful business over here called Liquid Personnel. They they grew that to about a hundred and I think they had one hundred and thirty staff, and they sold it for twenty or twenty five million pounds. And um, so that's John and Alex. I'll I'll put a link by the way, guys, on in the show notes. So if you haven't heard that interview yet, you can you can click on that. They actually said their biggest mistake or their biggest. Um, yeah, their biggest learning in that process was cash flow. You know, they came from a very a sales oriented background. They were really strong on that. Uh, they they grew into great leaders, but they were not on top of their cash management, and they almost went out of business as a result. Even though on in terms of the revenue, it looked like the business was uh, was performing really well. Um, what stage? Espe you, especially, sorry, Mark, especially if you've got a big contractor book, it becomes exactly. more essential. Uh, um, you know, we, we are, we're probably too heavily weighted to permanent recruitments, and uh, as Greg Savage has always counseled me on, um, but in executive recruitment, it, it is a lot harder uh, to build a big contracting book, but it, cash flow is so important if you've got a big contracting book. 
Exactly. Well, that was exactly the case with these chaps. Their business was primarily contract. And um, so on paper, they had these huge, you know, revenue figures. Right. But uh, the reality was they were they were in a precarious uh, position until they sorted that out. Um, what stage did you bring in a CFO and just like sort of professionalize the, the way you were uh, controlling the finances? Um, as far as uh, people numbers, it was probably about 40 people. Okay. So I just want to understand, you said it was relatively easy to get from one to 10. So like, how long did it take you to get to that first milestone? Um, One to 10. um, The the hardest was the first one. uh, But, uh, you know, I I think we got to 10 within, you know, 12, 12, 18 months. Okay. Um, And then, uh, and then, uh, 10 to 30, and I'm guessing here, a uh, market sure. uh, ed- educated guess. I think 10 to 30 was uh, probably six years. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously, uh, and then, you know, um, fast tracked it, uh, you know, six years. So probably, yeah, so probably about a year eight and then fast tracked it from there. Okay, fantastic. Um, so often I see that getting to from that 10 to 30 mark is one of the sticking points because there's a lack of process systems um you know there it's still very much uh an entrepreneur led sort of business where a lot like the rainmakers the people with the most connections the people uh who are really driving revenue are still kind of the the original founders and and leaders and then sort of starting to shift and and build that, you know, develop the people in the business so that they are strong billers and also can become leaders as well. Um, how did you navigate through that kind of uh, milestone? Yeah. And, and the one other thing I would add to you there and, and maybe a summation of what you said is lack of career development. Um, yes. Uh, in that, you know, the, 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 when you've got 30 people, people are sort of saying, you know, billing is one thing, but where's my career going here? I just right. don't want to be sitting at a desk making money. So um, it was, uh, you know, navigating that and, and it wasn't easy. You know, it was pretty hard to let go. Um, you know, the three founders were still very heavily involved in the business when we were 25, 30 people, uh, held a lot of the relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll give you some, some a really good insight here. We also promised some people equity. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, one of the tough days here was when we had two people that, that came in and set up in competition uh, to us, uh, mm. and which is what we, which is what we did uh, when we left Michael Page. Um, and that really hurt because, and one of them is still my, my good friend. And, uh, you know, I, when, he, uh, when he resigned to set up on his own, I sort of said to him, Matt, um, what happened? And he said, well, you promised us equity and, and you didn't deliver on it. Uh, and he was right. Uh, we didn't. Uh, and that was a, a, a pivotal point in Six Degrees as well because that actually forced us to develop an employee equity plan uh, where we now have probably 10 people within our business uh, and, uh, on top of the original founders that have equity that have have equity within Six Degrees. Oh, that's um, cool. And so they now feel as though, well, sorry, they are owners of the business and are part of the business. Yeah, part of the ownership ownership group, and so um, sometimes you know when things are presented that are really bad, they actually turn uh, into to really good opportunities, and that was one of those. But you know, go, further to what you said was that you know once we were thirty, and once there was a CFO, and once uh, there was a CEO, 
we were able to put in strong systems and processes um, for career development, for recruitment operations, for marketing and digital, uh, and you know start being serious and sorry and budgeting process um, and start being taking a mature approach to the way we were running our business, which enabled um, huge growth very very quickly. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. A few of these points sort of intersect around the, I mean, the, we're in a people business, right? And they intersect around um hiring right people, but also uh, retaining them. And it sounds like you figured out a few key things here. One is career development uh, and being able to offer genuine, you know, you know, a career path for people. The second was uh, you mentioned um, the opportunity to, you know, get equity. What else do you think has contributed to the low staff turnover that you guys have? Because it's very hard to grow a business if, for every, you know, three people you add, two are leaving, or maybe three are leaving, and you know, you're you're constantly, you know, churning staff. Then, you know, you're never you're treading water. You're never really gonna going to take off. And you guys have somehow figured figured that puzzle out. What's the secret? Um, I, I, you know, one of the biggest ones I, I think Mark is listening, um, listening to our people and understanding. You know, sometimes we think we know what they want, but. Uh, you know, when you ask them, it's a, a different thing. And so it's making sure that we listen to our people and respond accordingly. Um, you, know, we, you touched on earlier diversity inclusion. Um, one of the things we're very proud of um, is that you know, in our business, we are a, a diverse organisation. And uh, you know, historically, recruitment, is, uh, recruitment companies hire just like-minded people. Um, we have great diversity. Um, we have uh, an over-representation as far as percentage-wise of females and females in leadership positions as well. Um, and so we also have very um, progressive policies when it comes to maternity leave. You know, we um, did uh, implement a paid maternity leave when we were 20 people uh, and not many organisations when they're 20, only 20 people have paid maternity leave. That paid maternity leave uh, has got bigger and better over time. Um, you know, we also have very flexible uh, work arrangements Excuse me, and flexible flexibility to not just mothers, but you know, I'm sorry, I said maternity. It's paternity. So um, the fathers or mothers um, are returning to work, 
we also have a father and mother of the same child in this office, and they have flexible working arrangements to make it work for them. Wow, um, that's so awesome. It's, it's, it's those type of things um, and listening to your people and understanding what they want uh, as far as um, learning and development, flexibility, working arrangements, um, how they build the culture. Um, you know, it's one of the uh, things that we implemented um, maybe three or four years ago. We had the ELT uh, or our executive leadership team, which were um, you know, people that had, were, were at a certain stage in their career, generally been in recruitment for 10 years, all making decisions on people. Uh, and, you know, some of those people were probably 15 years younger than them. Uh, and then we made a, a decision to actually start getting a fair representation of the organisation in the executive leadership team meetings. So people in our graduate programs would come to our ELTs uh, and as long as they could contribute and had a voice, um, they were welcome. And so, you know, not just talking about diversity and inclusion but really living it um, and that makes the organisation much better. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Um, there is a great book which I read recently and I cannot think of the title, but I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes and I'll let you know, Paul, uh, by email, <clears throat> which is uh, about diverse organizations and the science behind it. So it's not just a sort of feel-good policy, but actually um, results in greater innovation. Because if you have people in a company who all think the same way, then you have major blind spots without even being aware of it. And so the fact you're bringing younger people into the uh, leadership meetings, you know, kind of somewhat mitigates that risk because, you know, they will represent a portion of your candidate and client populations as well. And we need to understand that, you know, the way, you know, that part of our client base thinks um, rather than assume that they think the same way that we do. Um, so that's interesting. Um, there's a, there's also uh, one really good tool that we use. Um, yeah. you know, about four or five years ago, we um, wanted to do an engagement survey uh, and there were plenty of organisations that were doing it. We got a list of quotes and they ranged from twenty dollars to $40,000 to do it. Wow. Um, and then uh, someone said to us, haven't you heard of this HR tech called Culture App? And Culture what App is, it, culture? is a, Culture App, A-M-P. AMP, okay. Uh, yeah, and Culture Amp is uh, one of the best uh, things that we've implemented in our, our business because not only can you do engagement surveys, you can do pulse surveys, you do surveys on new starter training, you do surveys on, we've just done a recent COVID-19 uh, surveys, and it gives you incredible data, uh, real data for your organisation. Uh, and it is a, it's a SaaS product, but it is not expensive. It's not you know, anywhere near $20,000, but, you know, I think we pay, um, <clears throat> it's per user, but, you know, may, it may be $5,000 a year, um, but that's for, for 85 people. Right. And it gives us incredible data and insights on our people um, <clears throat> that we've never had before. Wow, that's a great, great suggestion. Thanks for sharing that tool. Uh, I was going to ask you, you mentioned that listening to our people was one of the keys. And so I presume, and I was going to say, well, how do you do that? So the, the, the survey tool sounds like it's a great way of understanding, you know, what people are thinking and feeling and, and soliciting that uh, feedback. Was there anything else that you've done in order to promote 
listening to your people and a, uh, being able to retain them? Yeah, it's something that, uh, you know, Greg Savage and I have discussed. You know, I, I believe that the recruitment industry doesn't um, create great leaders. Um, it creates great managers that know how to manage KPIs and, uh, um, you know, uh, um, manage people on activity. Um, but leadership to me, uh, and we've, we've invested a lot of time and money, and I'm happy to send you some white papers that we've done on leadership more broadly, um, but leadership to me um, is about being a great listener and, and, and acting upon that. So, um, you know, we've done, we spend a lot of t- um, time and effort and money in developing great leaders at Six Degrees and great leaders are great listeners. Uh, and so that's a really important part of our ongoing development of, of Six Degrees leaders uh, is making sure they're engaged listeners uh, and they do something with that information. Because mm. so often people uh, uh, listen as is just the waiting as an opportunity for waiting to let them talk, and uh, you know we we really want to encourage our leaders to listen uh, because that's where we get the best insights. Absolutely, and uh, I've heard Greg say that the true sign of a good leader is how many other leaders they have they've created. Um, how do you know Greg? By the way, because he was the one who introduced us. Um, well, Greg, Greg, I know through the recruitment industry, um, you know, I take the opportunity to go to every single one of Greg's um, uh, 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 recruitment presentations uh, and have been going uh, since I set this business up. Um, you know, Greg is, is one of uh, probably the only international uh, uh, spokesperson on the recruitment industry um, and is... Uh, I'm not saying Greg's that old, but he's older than I am. Uh, I think he celebrated his 60th birthday uh, a year or two ago and yep. still has more passion for this industry than most people I know uh, and has done a great job of progressing and understanding <clears throat> how important digital is, his insights on AI. Um, he's, he's one of the greats in our industry on a, on a global scale. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. In fact, he was the very first person I interviewed <clears throat> for the Resilient Recruiter podcast. So he helped launch the, the show. Um, and uh, by the way, guys, I'll put a link in the show notes to the original episode where we interviewed Greg about the future of recruitment. Um, so returning to Six Degrees then, Paul, <clears throat> we've talked about the you know transition from sort of 10 to 30 and the things that you Im- implemented there. What about that next phase of where you really scaled because getting to 30 is a big achievement in itself. Um, and I'd say, you know, only a minority of recruitment businesses ever get to that point. But you guys really have gotten to, for an independent, you know, recruitment business, um, you know, once you get over sort of 70, 80 employees, then that's, you're really at the, uh, you must be one of the biggest independent um, recruiting firms in Australia at that stage. What were the keys to unleashing that kind of real scale? Yeah, I, I think that it starts with um, the plan and, and understanding who we are, who we want to be and where we want to go. Um, and it's, you know, we, we haven't um, 
Uh, we weren't, weren't in for recruitment domination. Um, you know, the, the logical thing, you know, we, we are still highly specialised in the disciplines and industry sectors we work. Of course, we've advanced those from when we set up 16 years ago, but we are not all things to all people. So we, we were very clear on who we wanted to be, um, how we were going to grow, and and, and that was more around geographies. Um, so you know, we, we set up the Sydney business, um, you know, Sydney and New South Wales is the biggest uh, state in this country, so that was the logical thing, and we were doing a lot of work in New South Wales from Victoria anyway. Um, so we set, we set up that um, business three or four years into to opening six degrees, uh, really focused on uh, growing New South Wales. And then obviously the logical thing was uh, opening our Brisbane office, which we did about three or four years ago. Um, so it was a, ge geographic, a geographical expansion, sticking true to our disciplines um, you know, and uh, looking at uh, the growth areas um, and especially the growth areas within the industry sectors. So education is enormous here. So we, we uh, had a strategic, um, our strategy was to grow in the education sector. Healthcare, obviously, with an aging population demographic uh, was, it was an important one for us. Um, as well as you know, staying true to our original one, which is FMCG, which is still a big part of our business. Uh, and lucky, lucky it is because uh, during uh, COVID-19, uh, people still need to, to eat and uh, comb their hair and wash their hair. So, um, you know, it, you know, that's been very lucky for us as well. Absolutely. So, uh, sorry, one other thing I would ahead. add to that, Mark, is making sure that we had the right people in the right roles. Uh, that, that's a really, really important one. And if we didn't have the right people in right roles, recruit the right people for the right roles. Absolutely. So let, let me, I'll return to the right people in the right roles in a second. But you, you mentioned that having the plan was really the key. Um, what is that a physical, like that's a written document? What, like what did the planning, the, creating the strategic plan involve? Yeah, so, so that, that involves getting the ELT together, executive leadership team, and, and working on a strategic plan. Um, and that, you know, historically we did it one year out, um, but about uh, three or four years ago, we hired an external uh, strategy organisation that helped us develop a three-year plan. Uh, and, you know, initially they, they, they were talking five years. I think five years uh, in this ever-changing world is pretty hard to predict. So we um, then used an external agency um, that helped us with our three-year strategic plan mm -hmm. of, of, of where to play and how to win. Interesting. Okay, cool. So was this uh, like an away weekend or like how long did it take you to the, the leadership team to come up with the three-year plan? Uh, so the, so the um, uh, management consultancy gave us uh, some pre-work to do. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably, and then we, we broke away into teams. And so there were uh, probably four teams that spent five days on, on this. Uh, then we had two days with the management consultancy uh, and then they went away and did a lot of work in helping us develop the strategic plan, then, the then obviously refining that to what we, we wanted uh, and then obviously the rollout and the communication of that. 
Got it. So then that also then ahead. that also divide that you know ties into our budgeting process that I spoke yeah. about. You know, if there's capital expenditure that's needed, you know, it, 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 it's uh, you know part of that. We you know, for us to really win, um, we we needed a massive investment in technology. So mm. that was part of the strategic plan three years ago. And hence, then that ties into the um, the budgeting process. It t- ties into the organisational development and OD of the the, the, the company. So it, it is a number of factors. Um, but the strategic plan was that was the process, and then it ties into other other parts of the business. Fantastic! That makes a lot of sense. Um, by the way, uh, for our listeners, if you're interested in strategic planning in order to make your recruitment business grow, then I would invite you to check out recruitmentgrowthaccelerator.com. That's www.recruitmentgrowthaccelerator.com. This is a program I put together with my mentor, Romney Raws, uh, and you can sign up for a free video interview I did with Romney about how he uh, grew a startup from zero to three million pounds in pre-tax profits within four years. Romney's been involved in mergers and acquisitions, um, you know, flotations, uh, you know, startups, uh, as well as having been a board director for a uh, publicly quoted recruitment company here in the UK. So uh, really interesting interview with a really interesting guy. Um, and uh, if you're interested in that, go to the website, check it out. One of the topics we talk about is strategic uh, strategic planning. Um, Paul, you you something you mentioned there was technology uh, and that when you did the strategic plan, one of the keys you identified was we need to make a major investment in technology. Could you talk a little bit about what specifically you you did and and um, how that has helped uh, six degrees to be more successful? Yeah, um, the 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 you know the the uh, recruitment platform we were using at, at the time was a thing called Profile. Um, you know, Profile didn't give us great information and data as far as uh, candidates, clients, activity. Um, it didn't uh, marry to our general ledger or our invoicing system. Um, it was quite an antiquated system. Our, our ATS and our CRM system didn't talk to one another. So we went through a, a very um, structured process to um, uh, to uh, um, look at a new CRM. Um, so we, we adapted a new CRM and then obviously ways of working. Um, so historically, we were sort of tied to our desk. Um, we changed as far as the hardware, um, making sure that people can work anywhere, anytime. So that was the first thing we did was was looking at, looking at the technology platform and the hardware that we were using. Uh, and then from there, it was looking at all um, HR uh, or, or IT, HR IT systems that are available out there. Um, you know, I'll give you a really good example of one is XREF that we use uh, for reference checking. Um, and you know, historically, we were in the old ways, old. Uh, ways of, of thinking about how we did reference checks, with, which was you've got to get the person, use it as a BD call. Um, and we really challenged the way, the old school way we thought about doing things to making sure we were much more efficient uh, in in uh, the recruitment process because we know uh, things are changing. Um, we know that the actual sourcing of candidates 
uh, is getting easier and easier and, you know, it's not long before it's done by a machine rather than having to be done by us. Uh, and so we uh, invested in a person that really uh, looked at uh, our ways of working, looked at HR technology or all technology and making sure that we are as efficient and effective as we possibly can be um, and really advanced in that area. What was the name of the tool you used for the reference checking? Uh, XREF, X, uh, letter X, yep. uh, R-E-F. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, Australian publicly listed business that does a really good job of um, uh, reference checking um, uh, directly to, to the referees um, and, uh, uh, and a really efficient way of doing it. Okay, that's a that's a great example. Um, you enable people to work from anywhere, which uh, it must be paying dividends now that everyone you know people are having to work from home and that and that sort of thing. What um, and it's, and I, I will say, Mark, it's an, an interesting one. You know, mm-hmm. we're looking at ways of working and how people uh, will return to work, and there is no question the next six months. We're going to, we ha- are going to have to be really flexible and people are saying, well, you know, I want to work differently moving forward. And we, we've got a, 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 to question ourselves of, of how we work and what we're going to do post-COVID. Um, uh, you know, so I, I, I truly believe that people need to meet candidates face-to-face and you can't really interview everyone over, over a computer screen uh, because that's ultimately what clients pay us for. But sometimes that's not possible. Um, there's also, we've got some people in this business that travel 90 minutes each way to and from work. Now, there's no need for those people to come into our physical office every day. But also recognizing that we are, we do build a culture of uh, inclusiveness and a culture of performance, and we want people here as well. So we are a little bit torn about what it, what our flexibility policy is going to look like post COVID. But we, there is no doubt we are going to be a lot more flexible than we have been historically, and I and I think we were doing a good job of that anyway. It's interesting. Um... And I, because I'd like to dig into this a little bit, that's maybe a, a good place to to finish up. Everybody's going to have to re-examine how flexible they are, and um, and you know maybe that's one of the positive consequences of this pandemic uh, is accelerating the the pace of change. You know, probably uh, where we thought the future of work, you know, we would be in five years, it's now more like five months away. What, um, I, cause I've heard two arguments here. One is from the people who are sort of pro, you know, distributed workforces and working from home and being completely having a, a, a totally flexible model saying, well, look, it, this just proves that it can be done. And, uh, then the sort of more traditional, um, you know, thinking, which is, well, <clears throat> That's all very well, but uh, relationships are, true relationships are built face-to-face, number one. Number two, if everyone's working on their own, how do we maintain the culture? And number three, um, you know, the gelling as a, as a team, like if you're not spending physical time together, how does that work? And then not to mention the learning and development opportunities that are missed just from listening to your manager or your colleagues on the phone and hearing how they do things or sitting in impromptu sitting in on a on a meeting or what have you uh, with a with a key client um how do you think you guys will find that compromise 
uh, I think it's going to be test and learn. And, um, you know, a little bit of it has to come down to performance. Um, you know, performance does matter. Yes. Um, but, there is, but there is also cultural contribution. I, 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 the part that I, I think that you uh, hit on there that is of greatest concern to me is the learning and development piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned so much in my recruitment career by sitting around great recruiters by having my managers or leaders at the time helping me through calls and talking about you know, what if scenarios and how I could have done things better or what I did really well. Um, so that learning and development piece is really, really important. And if you're working from home, I don't know whether you're going to grow and evolve as, as well. Um, the other part is the sharing of information. You know, you, you know, a job gets phoned in and you talk to your colleagues sitting at a pod, I've just got this job and you know, names are thrown at you. Um, you know, that, that doesn't happen when you're sitting at home. Now, of course, there's chat rooms and all those things that you can do through technology. Uh, and maybe I am a little bit old school, but uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I do um, have spoken to a lot of people uh, and I'm in the office right now and there are a couple of people here, not many, um, but there are a lot of people that are yearning for that connection again. And uh, yeah. don't, don't ever discount that. Um, you know, that. That's why we come to work and you know, people love working at six degrees because of the culture and environment and the buzz that we create. Um, but I am also aware and, and Su- our CEO, Susie McInerney, my successor, is doing a really good job of educating some of us old school people that this is the way of the future uh, and we will work it out and there a balance will be, will be made, um, both from our learning and development, from a performance perspective uh, in, in the new ways of working. Absolutely. Wow. That's awesome. So, um, Paul, I'll give people a couple of websites so that they can reach out to you and find out more about Six Degrees, uh, whether they want to, you know, uh, use you as a sounding board or whether they want to join your organization. So it's uh, www.sixdegreesexecutive.com.au is the is the business website. And the charity that you mentioned earlier, beyondblue.org.au. AU, I'll include that in the show notes as well. Could you just speak briefly? What do they do specifically? Uh, Beyondblue.org.au are the largest um, organization uh, around uh, coping with uh, depression and anxiety. Um, so, um, as I talked about earlier, they're an organization that we've partnered with, partnered with for a long time uh, and um, you know, uh, help, help people that are, are suffering depression and anxiety to cope with it uh, and to deal with it. Excellent. Paul, this has been an amazing conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed meeting you. So thank you so much for your time today. No problem, Mark. And uh, if people do want to contact me also, obviously through LinkedIn, I think you've asked for those details um, and uh, happy for you you to share those. Um, But I've I've really enjoyed our time. Fantastic. Me too. Thank you, Paul. And uh, the one one thing I will say um, also is uh, 22 years in recruitment. uh, It is very, very tough times at the moment, but... uh, Tough times do pass, uh, and having been through uh, three tough recruitment cycles, uh, the good part about uh, tough recruitment cycles is when you do come out of them, uh, you come out of them as a business that is not only stronger, um, but the accelerated curve as far as revenue, profit, and, and personal learnings uh, is is always very, very good. So, so stay true. Um, keep focused, work hard, uh, and uh, good times will come. I couldn't have said it better. Thanks again, Paul, and uh, I'll look forward to speaking again sometime in the future. Thanks, Mark. Good talking to you. 
Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.